everyone and welcome to this episode of The Author's Journey. I'm your host Moni Dujeji. And one of the great things I love about having this show and speaking to authors is not only learning about their books and about their journeys, but also seeing how they're also using their platform and their content for their philanthropic efforts. My guest today is doing exactly that. I'm so delighted to have with me Barry Finley. Barry, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, great to have you here. Now, uh, you have several books that we have on the table and we're going to talk about all of them and you've written across a couple of different genres. Right. But what I want to do is just learn first more about you and your story and you came about to be a writer. Yeah, we have to go way back, I think, for uh, <laughs> to understand that. I think I was born and raised on a farm in uh, rural Manitoba, a place called Rapid City, Manitoba, which is uh, just north of Brandon. And uh, my father was always working, being a farmer, and my brothers were much older than I was. So, uh, so my mother ended up spending a lot of time with me before I got to school, teaching me how to read and write. And, okay. and before I ever got there, I think I could read and write thanks to her. And it sort of instilled in me, I think, the, uh, uh, the fact that I wanted to write, that I enjoyed writing, I enjoyed reading. and. And then uh, I found out over time that farming wasn't for me, and so at, at 18 I moved into Winnipeg and uh, became a chartered accountant. Um, got a job with the federal government, worked with them for about 32 years, and, and during that time, 10 years of the 32, I was uh, writing financial policy. Which is now, quite unlike writing uh, any other kind it's of... It's very unlike it, and nobody <laughs> wants to read it unless okay. they absolutely have to, but I think it... it honed my writing skills. I learned how to, to write a complex subject, write about a complex subject in uh, sort of layman's terms. Okay. And I think because of that, it, uh, it honed my writing skills. It was kind of the school of hard knocks in writing. And um, so I worked for the government for 32 years and then um, kind of changed my life when I retired. And I ended up climbing a mountain and uh, yeah. wrote a book as a result of that climb. Um, and found out how enjoyable it was to write and uh, so I've been cont continuing to write ever since then. Yeah, well your that that journey uh, that you talk about is the foundation of your first book which is yes. called Kilimanjaro and Beyond, yeah. a life-changing journey. Um, this is the book right here. So tell me what inspired you to go climbing one of the, well not the highest peak in the world but definitely one one of the, the high peaks in the world. Yeah, what inspired it, you to do that? It's the fourth highest Yeah. and um, I'd never climbed a mountain before um, I, I guess it all started, I went to the doctor and uh, he told me my triglycerides were elevated and the only way to deal with that was through exercise and uh, uh, diet. Yes. So I took him at his word and on the way home I stopped at the gym and signed on with a uh, personal trainer and it turned out she was a 21 year old woman who just about killed me at the beginning. <laughs> but uh, over time my health started to improve, my lifestyle started to improve and I'd been We'd been talking with our son about, uh, he'd been in South Africa uh, years before, and somebody wanted him to climb Kilimanjaro at that time, and he didn't have the time or the money or whatever to do it. But it had always been stuck in the back of his mind, so that kind of came back to me after uh, the visit to the doctor and after my health improved. Mm -hmm. I asked him if he wanted to do it, and he decided that he did. Uh, he had a one-year-old at the time, okay. so it was a big sacrifice for him or a big commitment. And uh, he decided to that we should do it, so off we went. And uh, did you just go the, from one day to the next to climb the mountain? Did you not took, train? No, or anything it took me. A, it took me a year. 
a good year to uh, get in shape to train. Being an accountant, I sat behind a desk for many years, so uh, I wasn't in the best of shape. Yeah. Um, but the personal trainer took care of that and uh, a lot of training over the course of that year. Okay. And um, I think I was pretty well ready to go by the time we did the climb. <laughs> and how old was your son at that time? He was 30. He was, okay. Yeah. And so what was it like uh, climbing Kilimanjaro? What was that experience it's, like? Um, it, it's, it's not a technical climb. You don't need ropes and, and crampons and things like that. It's, uh, there's a trail up the, the mountain. There's, well, actually a choice of trails. Okay. Uh, the difficulty is the altitude. It's 19,340 feet. So when we actually flew into the mountain, we flew in below the mountaintop. We could actually look up at the mountaintop as we were flying in. And uh, my son said to me, what have we done yeah. as we're flying by the mountaintop? But um, so it's the altitude uh, that is the problem and fatigue. Um, we were on the mountain for seven days mm -hmm. up, going up, two days coming down. And uh, so we were on the mountain for a long time. And it was uh, the last 600 feet are really tough. What was uh, what do you remember of those last 600 feet, that last climb to get what, to the top? What I really what really sticks out in my mind is uh, we were at the the camp just before the final ascent, and um, we had been climbing all all day. It was a long climb that day, and we climbed through the clouds and and fog, and we couldn't really see much. We couldn't see where we were going, uh -huh. and uh, so we stopped for the for the day, and we went into the mess tent to have our meal. And when we came out, everything had cleared, and we could see the top, we could see where we were going, and it was just such a fantastic moment when we could actually uh, see where we'd been, we could look down the mountain, we could look up the mountain, and to see where we were going was just a fantastic feeling. A little bit frightening, because we still had that uh, final ascent to do, but um, that was a, a big moment that stuck out in my mind. Do you have to have oxygen when you're climbing at those levels? Yeah, um, we had a guide with us who had a uh, oxygen uh, hyperbolic uh, chamber, okay. hyperbaric chamber, and um, portable stretcher, and or a porter, and he went with us right up to the top of the mountain. Um, after we had made the ascent, after we'd reached the top, we went back down to the next camp. And um, we were sitting there sort of enjoying the sun and patting ourselves on the back. And they took my um, blood pressure and uh, heart rate and so on. And all of a sudden, I had tubes up my nose. So, oh, wow. so I had to have oxygen at that point. Yeah. yeah. And there were three climbers in all, 18 porters and two guides and three climbers. Uh, so we were pretty well looked after. Yeah, well supported but, on your way. Yes. But... Um, so the other two, Chris and the other fellow we were climbing with, were kind of laughing after they realized I was going to be okay. They were giving me a hard time about <laughs> having oxygen. And then we went into the mess tent again, and they were tested, and they had to have oxygen too. So, <laughs> so, so I, I didn't feel laugh. so bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then were you keeping a journal or a diary um, as you were climbing? I or was. Trying to? Not a detailed diary, and uh, we found the higher we climbed. Chris was probably better at keeping a diary than I was. Mm. Uh, we found the higher we went, the worse our notes got. And, uh, and I think it was just a matter of fatigue. And yeah. uh, Chris said when he looked back at his notes, he couldn't understand what he was writing uh, yeah. as we got closer to the top. So. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there were other priorities at that time there beyond were. just keeping a good journal <laughs> and, exactly. and penmanship. <laughs> Breathing was a priority. Good priority. That's a good priority to have. Yeah. Um, 
Now, I know that part of the climb was uh, was a personal, it was a, a personal right. quest to do that, but that you also had um, a fundraising motive behind this as well. Do you want to tell me about that aspect of that journey? Yeah, the mountain came first. Uh, we, we decided we wanted to climb, but then when we agreed we were going to climb, uh, we decided we'd use the mountain as a platform for raising money mm -hmm. for something. And um, so we got together and, and we both wanted to do it for kids and we wanted to do it for education for kids. Yeah. Uh, so it was, we had no idea how much money we could raise. We decided to put the donors' names on a Canadian flag. Okay. And, oh, um, so, so all the donors' names were on a flag? Yeah. Okay. So, um, so we did that and we actually raised $15,000 before oh, we left. And it was just, great. I think it was the fact that people were interested in what we were doing and uh, and maybe they wanted their name on the Canadian flag that was going to the top of the mountain, but we ended up with 200 donors and, uh, and raised $15,000. We, um, when we decided we were going to raise money for kids, we looked at uh, child-sponsored or child uh, organizations that raise money for kids, yeah. and we found about five that we were interested in working with. I sent out letters to the five. I got a response from one. <clears throat> and the, the one was Plan Canada. And I was familiar with Plan from before because we have a foster child through Plan. Yes. So uh, we uh, connected with them and um, so we've been raising money for Plan Canada ever since. And so do, do uh, a percentage of the sales of your books go towards Plan? Percentage of the profits from the books. All the, the profits books, from the, the books. Well, congratulations. A percentage, yeah. That's fantastic. Um, so, and you chose one that was in Tanzania, is that right? Yes. Because that will tie into this the, another one of your books that comes yes, exactly. in, in the future. Yeah. So you uh, you raise the funds, and you did, did you end up going to Tanzania to deliver the funds there and see the school or what? Yeah, it, the it, uh, well, the mountain half of the mountain is in Tanzania and half okay. of it's in Kenya. Yes. So, um, but our project was in a place called Mwanza, Tanzania, which is on Lake Victoria. Yes. It's a freshwater lake, and it's. Uh, one of the most polluted lakes in the world. So the, the school is actually on the lake, but they are at least beside the lake, but they can't use the water right. because it's so polluted. So um, we raised money for the classroom. Um, we um, uh, presented the, the flag to the, uh, the, the school and um, I was standing in front of the class and speaking to them and I realized, I just looked out at the faces and saw the optimism and enthusiasm and they had nothing. And um, I just thought we could do something for them. And so uh, that's why the fundraising has continued. And we actually went back in 2011 to see the results of, of our projects. And, yes. uh, and we have another trip planned um, soon. Good for you. Yeah. So then a percentage of the, pro of the sales or the profits of all of your books that you've written is right. going to support that school and perhaps other philanthropic activities that you have going on. Yeah, we've well. completed four projects now okay. in Tanzania. Uh, we also raised money for Wounded Warriors Canada. So in total, we've raised about 185, uh, well, no, closer to 200,000, I guess. Congratulations. Uh, since we started doing this in 2008. So, um, so yeah, we continue to, to raise money. We've got, we've completed four projects and, and we're kind of between projects now with plan. That must be incredibly satisfying. Oh, it's, uh, there were two things I think that came out of the, out of the climb. One was, I realized that you can do pretty much anything you want if you set your mind to it. And I think uh, I'm going to be using that going forward. Yeah. Um, I kind of developed a slogan, or a slogan came out of our climb, that every mountaintop is within reach if you just keep on climbing. And um, 
that's kind of my philosophy of life now. It's uh, if you set your mind to something, you can do it. That's fantastic. And um, and then the second one was uh, I realized that we could help kids by or help people just by uh, putting a little bit of effort into it. Yeah. And um, what we do is hold events and mobilize people to uh, contribute to the events, and that's where most of the money comes from. But um, so, yeah, that was the benefit of the climb. I call it a life-changing journey, and it really was. Yeah, I have no doubt. And I guess it changed you in more than one way, not just simply yeah. the physical act of going and climbing a mountain, but how you choose now to spend your efforts and how you see how you're using your life in, in this moment right now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I know that you've uh, you continue traveling because you didn't stop at Kilimanjaro. Right. And that's the foundation of your next book, yeah. which we're going to talk about. Uh, but I do have to take a, a quick break before okay. we do so. So please stay tuned, everyone. And when we come back from break, we'll continue our conversation with author Barry Finley. Welcome back to The Author's Journey, everyone, where I'm continuing my conversation with local author and philanthropist, Barry Finley. Now, Barry, you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, which was a life-changing experience for you, but you didn't stop traveling, obviously. Right. It inspired philanthropy, but it inspired another journey. Uh, and this one is, is another memoir, which I love the title, which says, I guess I missed the boat. So what boat did you miss? What's the story all about? <laughs> well, I can't tell you whether we missed the boat or not, because <laughs> you have to read the book. But the... Uh, uh, my wife and I travel with my in-laws, okay. so um, there are many stories that come out of that. Uh, my sure. in-laws are characters, and um, so this kind of chronicles some of the stories that came <laughs> out of our out of our journeys. Mm -hmm. um, it was originally written basically for the family to you know so that to capture some of those moments, and uh, it's turned out that uh, a lot of people have an interest, in, and especially seniors because it's uh, we're all mm -hmm. seniors and uh, all traveling together and um, um, people seem to enjoy some of the stories that have come out of that. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure travel, humor, adventure, all of that, you know, everyone, I mean, I especially, I love those kinds of stories and I love those kinds of journeys and there's definitely a lot of some good tidbits <laughs> there are. To, be, to be picked up from that. Yeah. Well, you know, so your first couple of books were more memoirs focused right. on personal experiences, personal journeys, but then you switched gears and you moved into more of a mystery thriller yeah. kind of genre. And one of the first books that you wrote, I think was the A Perilous Journey, is that yes. right? Perilous a perilous question. question. Yes. A perilous question. And I, I love the title because my Thank first you. question to you was, what's the perilous question? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you answered in, a, in, a, in an interesting way. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of relates to our fundraising. We were in Tanzania in 2011, and we were visiting a dormitory for uh, 100 girls. <clears throat> there were 900 kids at the school, and there were uh, about 500 girls, almost all are orphans because of uh, HIV. So it was a project that Plan Canada had done. We had nothing to do with this project, but uh, it was a project that they had done. <clears throat> so the schoolgirls divided us up. Three of them took me through the dormitory, three took my wife, and three took uh, the representative from Plan Canada. At the end of the visit, one of the girls said to me, so when are you taking me to Canada? And I got the feeling she would have gone in a heartbeat. Sure. She, if I had told her, I'll pick you up at midnight at the gate, she would have been there because there was nothing to keep her in 
intensity in. And she was looking for something better and she saw that as a way out. Right. So um, that's where the book starts. It, um, it starts there. It's a book about human trafficking. Uh, and uh, fortunately, uh, that didn't happen as far as I know to the girl there, but right. uh, but that's the uh, the story of a perilous question. Yeah, and how do you answer that question? Because I'm sure that's a question that must come up a great deal. I know when I've when I've traveled overseas, when you go to countries such as this, um, that is one of the first things I tell you is you know you're so lucky to have a Canadian passport. You're so right. lucky to be able to travel wherever you want, whenever you want. And so it's a question that I've received personally as well. And yeah. it's a, it's hard to answer that question honestly and to to explain that you you know you simply it's just not possible. So how did you under yeah, how did you answer we, that? Um, well, that's basically what I told her was that it wasn't possible to do that. <clears throat> I did talk to Plan Canada afterwards and suggested that they might want to do some education in that regard. Good idea. Um, and I think from a fundraising perspective, all we can do is help a few people. We can't save the world. We can, we can help uh, a handful of people, and if we do that, then it's a handful of people that wouldn't have been helped otherwise. Well, exactly. So, um, so I think that's that's about all we can do. And that's powerful on its own. You know, that's uh, you're, you know, we think oftentimes that we've got to do all these great, grand, big changes, but the changes that we make to one person's life, well, that's one or two or three people's lives that you've already changed. Yeah. And you exactly. don't know how that's going to move forward and change other people's lives as well. Yeah. So it was interesting. Was I, I did mm. talk to detectives for both my thrillers. Yes. Um, I was fortunate enough to know somebody who connected me to the Ottawa Police Service. Okay. And I talked to a detective who was involved in human trafficking. Mm. And uh, he said that quite often the girls won't testify because they consider what they're going through here to be better than what they would have had at home. And that's... So, that's that's unthinkable to on, on both on both counts, you yeah. know. So, well, that's that's a fascinating read. I'm sure that makes a fascinating story. But you turn it into a mystery, right? Yes. This is a, the first mystery book that you wrote. Yeah, actually, it was the second. The, the first se one was the Vanishing Wife. Okay, the Vanishing yeah. Wife, and then that one. Yeah. And so, what got you switching gears from writing memoirs into writing fiction? I've always been a big fan of. Uh, of fiction thrillers yeah. in particular yeah. i've got um i probably read five thrillers to every biography or autobiography or or whatever um so frankly i wanted to challenge myself and see if i could do it okay. uh being an accountant accountants aren't supposed to be creative and uh <laughs> in most uh, instances instances so uh, i wanted to try it and see if i could do it and and it worked out okay there were a lot of challenges what, like of, what tell me what well a lot of research Mm. Um, a lot of rewrites. Uh, I found ensuring there were no redundancies in the book, ensuring the plot line flowed, uh, making sure there wasn't uh, extraneous material or gaps. Um, and that's frankly where a good editor comes in because uh, you know you do what you can, but uh, yeah. there's uh, there's ways that there are ways of missing things. Well, you know that's one of uh, the consistent themes that I've had from other authors on this show is the importance of having a very good editor. And right. there's different kinds of editors, right? Because yes. there's editors. What kind of editors did you work with? Well, she's kind of uh, all singing, all dancing editor. She does uh, <laughs> she does content editing and copy editing and uh, structural. So, like, is there editors that also work on the structure to yeah. move things around, make sure that it's in the right flow? Yep. Yeah, she is yep. very good at. Uh, she'll read the entire book first, mm -hmm. manuscript, and then she'll go through it line by line, word by word, and um, challenge me. Uh, she will challenge the character traits, she'll challenge the scene, she'll challenge the, uh, the plot um, as she's going along. Yeah. 
and um, we work well together. Sometimes it's frustrating. I can imagine. <laughs> and uh, maddening sometimes, but yeah. uh, uh, in the end, it's my book, and I guess I make the final decisions, but um, she certainly, she makes me think. Yeah. And uh, I think that's so important. You know, it's, it's, it's great that you say that at the end of the day, you are the author and you're the one that has to have the final say on on your work because it's very tempting to leave it to the experts, to the ones right. who supposedly know better and can, you know, can write a better story, but you have to trust your gut. You have to trust what the story is that you want to reveal, not so. the story that they have to do. Yeah. Okay, well, you, so you wrote a, a couple of um, a couple of mystery books, and I was up actually on Amazon taking a look at uh, some of the reviews, and I have to say I'm impressed by at least a hundred reviews, I think, that yeah. I read on on your mystery books. Congratulations! Thank you. Well done. How how do you get so many reviews? For the most part, they're organic. Okay. Um, uh, when the book first comes out, I'll get professional reviews. I'll go out and try and get a handful of newspapers or uh, professional reviewers so that I've got editorial reviews that I can uh, attach to the book. Um, and then from that Do they on, usually respond? Professional, the no, professional editors? Yeah, no, sorry, professional reviewers? No, it's, uh, it's very difficult. Yeah. Um, there are some that, uh, that do all the time. But uh, mainstream newspapers and uh, magazines, mm -hmm, no, mm -hmm. very so difficult. So, where have you found? So, how ha aside from the organic, where have you found? <laughs> where have you found these uh, reviewers to come forward and to actually leave your review? Yeah, they're um, organizations. I'm trying to think of one now. Uh, well, Kirkus Reviews, which is very right. expensive. Yeah, uh, I've never used them. But it's that type of reviewer. There are, are a number like them that are, right, are like considerably professional cheaper. Reviews. Professional yes, reviewers. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. a lot of your reviewers are coming from individuals. And right. I think during our pre-interview, you mentioned that you worked with a publicist? Yes. Okay, so <laughs> tell me how, because I know a lot of authors would love to do that, but they're not sure how to. Yeah. And so tell me what uh, your relationship is with that, uh, with the publicist, what they do for you, and how they help you with your books. Yeah, I'm not sure he's a publicist. I don't know if that's the right term, but, uh, or marketer, like marketer or whatever. Okay, yeah. a marketer. But uh, what he does, he focuses on e-books. And my ebook sales outnumber my paperback sales by like a thousand to one. Really? So um, he focuses on ebooks and he's got a process where he will put the ebook up free for a few hours. Okay. And what that does is it raises the profile on, on Amazon. Um, and Amazon has algorithms that they use for uh, deciding whether they should have, if you like this book, read this book yes. and that kind of thing. Um, and so what that does is it changes the, uh, the results of the algorithm okay. and then so your book gets a little higher profile and, uh, and if you're lucky you can reach bestseller status for an hour or two and uh, okay. so then they can hmm. never take that away from you, you're an Amazon bestseller. Okay. Um, and so you can attach that label and, and, and then he'll flip it to a paid book. And the process works. It's uh, it's been successful with my two thrillers so mm -hmm. far. He's not cheap, um, quite expensive, in fact. But okay. I found that it uh, I'm more than broken even. So okay, so it's so it's for the investment that you're making, yeah. you are at least recovering your costs, and yes. it's raising the profile of your book, right? Which right. is something that gets the book into the hands of people. Do you find that a lot of people just download the books as soon as they're available for free? Oh, Do they absolutely really? So you yeah. can track those numbers as well and see how yeah. many. Yeah. Yeah, you can through Amazon. You can. Yes figure out how many are free and how many are paid. Okay. And um, I'm sure there are people that just download free books just for 
for the sake of downloading free books. And eventually they'll read them. You know, eventually they'll put them well, on the readers. Yeah, hopefully. hopefully yeah. <laughs> well, you know, if you can believe we're down to three minutes uh, okay. together. Um, I know that you are a traditionally published author and you switched from that to become yeah. more of a self-published author. Can you tell me why you did that? Yeah, it was kind of a hybrid uh, publisher that I was with. With mm -hmm. I guess we missed the boat. And um, so hybrid means that you pay something up front. The publisher pays something up front. You kind of okay. split the cost. And then the publisher takes more royalty than, than you would get if you're self-publishing. Mm -hmm. uh, I found that I did all the work anyway. The marketing work you <laughs> the mean marketing especially? Work, yeah. Yeah. I think every author can attest to that. Yeah. Yep. So um, I didn't really see the point of uh, paying his share of the royalty as well. <laughs> so they went under uh, ultimately and uh, I got my rights back and um, so then I self-published. Yeah. I think if you're with a traditional publisher you have the benefit of distribution, you have the benefit of getting mainstream reviews yeah. which is huge. Yeah. Um, but if you're with a traditional publisher you're probably at the bottom of their list unless your name's Stephen King or something. So, um, so I'm not sure there are advantages to both. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't mind doing the marketing and the promotion and, and that sort of thing. So, uh, so yeah, I've decided to self-publish. I, I did have a hybrid publisher for my newest book, but I was too far down the line by the time we connected. Mm -hmm. I think he would have been a good fit. Yeah. But um, but I've decided to self-publish it as well. Yeah. Well, you know, um, as we <clears throat> head down into to the final few uh, few minutes of our time together, I want to ask you as a, as an author, um, you've had a long journey with you know different books and different ways of publishing. Um, what's the greatest lesson that you have learned about yourself on this journey of being an author, and what would you advise others with, for our last minute together? Well, as a writer or as an author, you're putting yourself out there. And uh, I think the thing that was the biggest shock for me was, um, you know, I'm, I'm not one to want the spotlight particularly, um, but you need the spotlight when you're an author. You need people to be aware that you've got a book and, um, and you need to get out there and promote and, and that kind of thing. So that was kind of the biggest uh, shock for me, I guess. Yeah. Uh, as far as advice, I say if somebody wants to write, they should write. And um, I think you have to find your own way. Like there are things that work for me that may not work for someone else as yes. an author and vice versa. Yeah. So I think you have to find your own way and um, and uh, and just do it. And just do it. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you sharing your story and your wisdom with me. I know you will touch a lot of authors with those words as well. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode and we'll catch you on the next one of the, of the author's journey. Bye for now.